Okay, as the kids are leaving, let's give John Master Giovanni a huge welcome, a huge Leeds welcome. Come on. Bless you, John. Hallelujah. How's everybody tonight? Today? Tonight for me. Uh, before I get started, I just want to truly honor uh, Mark and Kathy. Um, I definitely will tell you this. Mark Kelly is truly one of my best friends. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I don't get to see him enough, but I love you, brother. And I, I appreciate his ministry. I appreciate, I trust him dearly. When he says something to me, I really take it to heart. Um, and I really pray that uh, you, I hope you know what a great, wonderful leader you have in, in both Mark and Kathy, as well as uh, some of the other leaders here that I'm still getting to know. Um, but I'm telling you, they're great, great, great people. And I'm so glad they're in my life, really. Amen. Praise the Lord. What I believe God has put on my heart to share with you today, um, I really believe it. There is the whole message is like a word for the church. You know, sometimes you can get up and give a teaching about something and then you have a prophetic word about something. Well, I feel like the whole thing is a prophetic word for the church but with some different angles and it has some teaching in it. Uh, it kind of started earlier this week. Um, this week. This is Sunday. This week. Uh, yeah, actually, that's about right. I want to make sure. It's about 3 a.m. where I live right now, so I'm not sure what day it is exactly on the occasion after a while. But I... Uh, actually, I was in an apostolic roundtable meeting and Jeff Newton was there and he was sharing some things and these thoughts started to come to my mind and I shared them with Jeff about something he said and it just stuck that I really felt that this was for Leeds Church and I ha so for a week I've had that this is for Leeds Church so I'm going to share this with you um, I'm sure some of it may need to be processed but I think there's some key points to it on some very basic levels I'm, 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 my goal is not to wow you as, as uh, Mark was saying earlier about, you know, making you think and all this sort of stuff, I, I just want to share something I think that, that is of the Lord. The other thing is uh, um, I am healing from an upper respiratory issue that I was blessed with when I got here to Britain. And so between my American accent and my nasal scenario, if you can't understand me, I may have Peter Gray come up and interpret. Uh, so... Hopefully you will understand. Shall we have a word of prayer? Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you so much for your faithfulness to us. And I thank you, Lord, so much for this church. This church is so special to my heart. And Father, I ask you now that maybe some of the questions that the congregation has had, leaders have had, that through this you will answer them. Father God, I pray that some who are looking for a direction or an understanding in their life that somehow or another this may nudge them in a particular way of looking or perceiving. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that the ears that we have and the hearts and the eyes that we have, Lord, we just lift them up to you right now, God, and we say, help us to see, help us to hear, help our hearts to receive. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray now that you would anoint me to communicate this effectively and unhindered in any manner in the name of Jesus. 
that, Father God, may it penetrate past preconceived ideas and may you open to us something today that would truly be a blessing to City Church. In Jesus' name, amen. I say this not just because I've spoken here once before, but I was, I don't know if you remember me or not, but I was here a long, long time ago before Mark was even the pastor. So uh, it, you guys are in my heart because I've been tracking this journey. And I'll be honest with you, I'm really thrilled about where you guys are. It's really awesome. I mean, compared to where you were, to where you are, you guys are in good shape. I'm going to start with, with a bit of a story um, that you're familiar with, and that's that we have Jacob who has 12 sons. Joseph has been deceived by his brothers, things have happened, and now Joseph is over in Egypt. And he's managed through a series of circumstances to become the second man to Pharaoh. And now there is a drought and a famine in the land of Canaan where Jacob or Israel, his name is now Israel, Israel and his 11 sons are. And they are pressed to go to Egypt. And when they get there, there is this, through a series of events, there is this reunion. They discover Joseph. Joseph discovers them. And God supplies the children of Israel through living in Egypt. And they prosper and they multiply. And it becomes a tremendous experience for them. To the point where, after the Pharaoh that knew Joseph... After Joseph passes, and after that Pharaoh, a new Pharaoh comes into being, and he starts to really be concerned because the children of Israel has prospered so amazingly in Egypt. So before you know it, as the story goes, he brings them into bondage. He causes them to uh, build a lot of the pyramids and things like that by making mortar and basically enslaves these people. And it's from there, in a few moments, we're going to read a whole section of Scripture. So I'm going to need three people to help me read, because uh, I think it's better if we all kind of get involved. So who's got some Bibles? Raise your hands where you are. Okay, one, two, and three. He's waving. So if you would find Exodus chapter 14, go through from verse 1 to 10 in a minute. And then if you would do verse 11 through 20, and if you would do 21 to 31, I'll have you come up to the microphone in a minute, and then we'll just read them all together. That'll be really great. Now, the thing that's the challenge for me, and I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. The children of Israel's destiny was not Egypt. It was Canaan land. Now listen to me about blessings real quick. We all love them when they come. We love deliverances when they come. We love answers when they come. But in the case of the children of Israel, their destiny was Canaan land. It was another land. The blessing of being in Egypt 
and God providing for their need and their supply during a time of famine was only to be temporary. Many children were born into Egypt during those years. They never even knew, knew much about Canaan land. Maybe they heard stories of it. Maybe during their worship times, they, they talked about it. But for them, Egypt was their home. Their condition was their home. The catch is, that wasn't their destiny. And that really, when the famine was over, it was time to leave and go back home. But they didn't. So hear me. Their blessing became their slavery. What was meant to be a blessing when they stayed there too long became the place of bondage. Now hear me, Leeds Church. If God's telling you to move, don't stay here a day too long. Most people do things that cause feelings of pleasure and avoid things that cause uncomfortable feelings. Rather than doing what is necessary to fulfill the dreams and vision that God has placed in their heart. Let me say that again. Most people do things that give us feelings of pleasure and avoid those uncomfortable things rather than doing what is necessary to fulfill the dreams and visions that God has placed in their heart. If you would be so kind now, come up to the microphone up here and read the, the entire segment of Scripture. Is this on now? Oh, very good. So if you would, turn with me, or with them, and... We're going to read through Exodus chapter 14, verse 1 through 31, because here is the point now where it's time to leave Egypt. Exodus 14, 1 to 10. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi Haheroth, between Migdol and the sea. Okay, can you stop there one second? Reread that second verse. Yep. Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi Haheroth, between Migdol and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea, directly opposite Baal Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariots made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other, cha along with all, all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over, over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites, who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they encamped, as they camped near, near the, nearby the sea, near Pi Haheroth, opposite Baal Zephon. 
As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. And as for you, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea And divide it, and the sons of Israel shall go through the midst of the sea onto dry land. And as for me, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, so that they will go after them, so they will go in after them, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. And then the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I'm honoured through Pharaoh, through his chariots and his horsemen. And the, angel of, and the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel, And it was a cloud and darkness to them. But it gave light by night to to these, so that the one came not near the other all, all the night. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them on the right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them to the midst of the sea, even all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And it came to pass that in the morning, in the morning watch, the Lord looked to the host unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of the cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians and took off their chariot wheels and they drave them heavily so that the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians, on their chariots and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth, while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. Not so much as one of them remained. 
But the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, praise God. And Israel saw Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Thank you all very much. Okay, if I put it here. Couple of thoughts. It's interesting where God led them. Because in in the Bible when they usually mention names of places, they're descriptions of things. For example, Pihacharot in Hebrew means the mouth of the serpent's den. So God tells the children of Israel, where I want you to go, first of all, on one side is going to be the mouth of the serpent's den. Oh, happy day. (laughs) Then he says the other side is Migdal, which is a tall tower where the Egyptians would be up on the top looking out for any enemies coming the way into Egypt from this portion where the Red Sea is. And of course, there'd be archers there and guys who could throw javelins or spears. So it's kind of like, okay, let me get this straight. You want me to go to the mouth of the serpent's den on one side and a tower over here where the Egyptians can, can see me clearly. Doesn't stop there. We then find that Pharaoh will have 600 chariots that are going to follow after them, so they're hemmed in. They're at the mouth of the serpent's den on one side. They've got a tower with guys with, with crossbows, or if that's what they w- would be called back then, um, bows and arrows, javelins, and you've got 600 chariots coming your way. Thank you, Lord. I really appreciate this. Having said that, have you ever felt like you were in that predicament? Where you had Satan on one side, a tower on the other side with guys with bows and arrows, and an army coming up your rear. And the Red Sea in front of you. And you think, I was just trying to obey God. How did this happen to me? Now, having created that picture, because we're going to come back to it, I want to move that over here and just put it here for a minute. And all that reading we did, and I'm going to come back and share a few things, and I'm going to come back and relook at all that. Is that okay? I'd like to say three things about God. God is a person, God is a force, and God is a principle. I didn't say God is a person, person. he has force, and he has principles. I said, God is a person, he is a force, and he is principles. It's a little different. One of our challenges, I think, as believers, is we have come to know the person so much, 
we don't realize that the whole thing is held together by him through force and principle. Thus, when you violate a principle, it's not that you get the person upset, you actually violate the thing that holds things together. Does that make sense? When you are contrary to the forces of God, it's not that you're simply contrary to something he would desire. You're contrary to the actual force itself. Very similar like electricity running through a wall is working the way it is on the basis of the principle of how electrons move. The principle is the electro electrons function itself. As, and mixed with it is a force. If you stick your finger in the socket and upset the principle and the force, it will knock you across the room. We don't realize half the time. That's why we think, oh, it's the judgment of God or something. And no, a lot of times what we are challenged with is crosswising the principle and the force. And what you're going to see here in these verses is all three of these aspects. Notice there's a triad. There are three. You're going to find that all three of these things are at work simultaneously. And the person, part of God, who thinks and communicates, will address how to use the principle of God to create the force of God to open that Red Sea. Make sense? Now, let's talk about force for a minute. There's a scripture in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6. It says, you alone are the Lord. You've been, you have made heaven, the heavens of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and everything in it, the seas and all that is in them. And here's the key. And you preserve them all. That's what it says in the New King James Version. And the host of heaven wor worships you. In Hebrew, it literally says, Va'ata machaya et kulam which literally means, and you are the force life or the life force of them all. You are the life force of them all. You're not you didn't just create it, you are the life force of it all. In uh, Hebraic thinking, they will say this, for example, example, every blade of grass has an angel willing it to live. That's the idea in their mind of the God also being a life force. That the very thing that causes breath is the life force of God. So you see here, he's a force. Principle. Genesis 8.22. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold heat, winter and summer, day and night shall not cease. It's interesting. And when it says summer and winter, it actually means the dry time and the gathering time. It's interesting how many of us always wants it to be harvest time. Every week's got to be harvest time. We don't really want to do much sowing, we just want to reap. But there's a principle. You've got to sow to reap. Very simple. And God says, as long as this condition we call earth, which is more than a planet... We won't go with, into all that definition, but just accept that thought for a minute. It's a bit bigger than just calling Earth a planet. There is this constant cycle of principle. 
And the principles, if you think about it, relate to that force. Make sense? If I plant the seed, the principle, then that force goes to work and I reap a harvest. In Proverbs 23, verse 7, which is going to be the key moment here for a second, the Bible says this, For as he thinks in his heart, speaking of, as we many times say, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. What's really interesting about this is how it's worded in the Hebrew, because they're trying very hard to extract something from the Hebrew language. Ki kimu shamar, banefeshu kin hu. Ki kamu. For like from him, Sha'ar, the gatekeeper, Banefeshu, in his soul, Keen Hu, is he. Read it now again, just in English. For like from him, the gatekeeper in his soul, so is he. The gatekeeper of his soul. The gatekeeper of his soul, so is he. It's a strange way of wording things. It's the issue of that each one of us, our soul, our thoughts, which you try to say thinketh, is your gatekeeper. Whatever your gatekeeper determines, that's what you are. If you examine your life right now, everything in it is a product of what you wanted. Everything. No way the devil came against me. Slow down for a minute. Because the devil, is, it's an interesting element about the devil for a moment, and I'm not saying he doesn't come against us. But whether or not he remains is another issue. They were slaves for a very long time in Egypt. That was not what their destiny was. That was not what their purpose was. But that's what they were. Matter of fact, what opened up the door, if you want to call it that, to the devil, was the fact that they stayed in their place of blessing too long. The gatekeeper of your soul. The gatekeeper of your soul. You produce what your gatekeeper desires. In Job 3, 24 through 26, it says, For my sighing comes before I eat, my groanings pour out like water. For the thing that I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, for trouble comes. Let's take a look at Job's life for a minute to explain this a little bit more. The first chapter of the book of Job, you know, we always move to the third chapter very quickly about this conversation that Lucifer or Satan has with God. And of course, God turns around and says, basically, did you not, did you not know he's already in your hand? In the, the King James Bible will try to translate it. Did you consider my servant Job? Well, the point is that it's interesting there is that Job would wake up every morning after his kids were gone and living in their own homes and constantly be worried about their spiritual condition. To the point when, on their birthday, 
the kids would get together and have an all-out party time that was extremely ungodly. And Job would panic, and he would quickly prepare a sacrifice for them. They didn't even know he was doing this, and he's sacrificing for them. The key was, Job was afraid that by their conduct, destruction would come to them and to him. So the Bible tells you. Guess what happens? It happens. And Job tells you in the third chapter, the thing that I feared came upon me. The gatekeeper of his heart allowed it to come. A lot of us want to be like Jesus, but we don't want the responsibility. A lot of us want to experience and say, I want to be like you, God. I want to be Jesus to the earth and Jesus to the people around me. But we really don't want the responsibility. We want God to really take on all the responsibility and me just kind of muddle through. And if I make a mistake, God bail me out. But there's something to this. There's something to what Jesus did. There's something to how Jesus did what he did. There's a gatekeeper in your soul. There's a gatekeeper there that is communicating what you have in your life. And most of us haven't found our gatekeeper. Most of us are a stream of conscious thoughts that keep happening over and over and over and over and over and over again. Let me give you an example. If there's anything you can say about all of creation is it does exactly what it's designed to do. You don't see a tree all of a sudden trying to walk around like a chicken. It does exactly what it's designed to do. We're the only folks that seem to have a choice not to. One of the most godly things or the most God-like things we've been given is this thing called a gatekeeper. You really do have the right in God to participate in the creative process. Now most of us will believe that, but how many times when something goes wrong, we don't realize that maybe, just maybe, we had something to do with it. And I'm not talking about repenting for sin. Sin is a non-issue. The cross took care of your sins. Let's get over it. I'm talking about being like God now. If we go back and look at the verses of the issue of this gatekeeper. God sets up the children of Israel for their destiny. God was so determined to get them across the Red Sea that he hemmed them in so they had no other, no other place to go. Some of the things going on in our lives is God trying to hem us in and our gatekeeper slams the, the door shut and we refuse to move. The scripture told us that the Lord spoke to Moses to go to this place, to go into this place of wilderness, that there was this angel that of course was given to Moses and the angel would take on a form of protection for them. Do you recall that? 
The thing that's interesting is by the time they get to this scenario, one of the more famous moments of Scripture is when Moses gets into this position. Now, let me give you the charismatic word of faith, current uh, word people, uh, whatever flavor you are right now, uh, movement that what we would do. We will hook into spiritual warfare. We're going to start rebuking the devil. Here's the catch about engaging the chariots. If you turn around and engage the devil here, the chariots, you're going the wrong direction. You're going the wrong... Your destiny is beyond the Red Sea not to turn and fight. Sometimes... We get hemmed into circumstances and we start devil in the name of Jesus, I break your power, you're not going to do this to me, da 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 wasn't tongues by the way, just saying. We start doing these things and we don't realize we're going the wrong direction. Why? Because it's uncomfortable. I'm a pleasure seeker. I want to feel good. My blessings are to make me feel good. If I'm not feeling good, it can't be God. It's not a blessing. And because of that, I start fighting for and going into the direction he's trying to free me out of. He's trying to move me along to my destiny and I'm not willing to let go. I'm not willing to release where I am. So what I think is actually pushing me forward, I turn around and start coming against it. Doesn't stop there. Moses is kind of stuck. And this is what I mean about alleviating ourselves of the responsibility. Because Moses was to be like God. The children of Israel are to be like God. They were to be his image and reflection in the earth. Am I incorrect theologically? No, we all agree, right? Okay, so here they are. They got the Egyptians on their tail. They're caught between the mouth of the serpent and the tower. And there's this interesting statement or Hebrew phrase that's in the midst of all this. And that's Baal... Zaphon. Do you remember hearing that phrase? Balsaphon. Balsaphon is the hidden Lord. The hidden Lord. God is hidden in this picture at work. God is hidden in this picture at work. And now, in order for me to resemble his likeness, I'm going to have to find what's hidden and release it. So Moses stops religiously and says, Children of Israel, today we shall stop and see the salvation of God. He will see to it that your enemies be destroyed and you'll never have to see the Egyptians again. Wow. That's a preaching message right there. 
Everybody said amen except God. God was the only one that didn't like that message. Famous words of God here. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Uh, you're God? It was your idea I come here? He said, tell the children of Israel to go forward. Uh, we don't have a boat. <laughs> Lift up your rod, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. Notice what he said. You divide it. Now here's a little background story. We all call it the book of Exodus. That's not the name of the book. The Jewish name is Shemot, the book of names. Because in Jewish tradition, Moses is going to use the names of God to open that Red Sea. It's the book of names. It's not the book of it's not the story of how they got of how they got out, as in they went here and then that place and this place. It's the book of names. The secret is the power of God and what Abraham will use to open that Red Sea. As a matter of fact, in, uh, I believe it's 1920 and 21, or, 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 yeah, I think it's 1920 and 21, those verses in Hebrew all have exactly 72 letters which is a strange anomaly, when Moses starts the parting of the Red Sea. And it's from there, in certain circles of Hebrew thinking, they claim, they say, that when you put these letters in certain combinations, I can give them to you if you want, but it's irrelevant right now. The point is, these are the 72 names of God that he used to open the Red Sea. Well, rather than memorizing 72 names for a minute, because we have one name that I think will suffice, don't you? The name that's above every name. There's something that happens here. There's something that's quite powerful. Moses is going to now have to step forward to work the principle to move the force. God, the person, said, you part it. You take your rod and you divide it. Now the rod was a symbol, one of the things is called the rod of God. It was definitely a symbol of Moses' authority. He says, the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea. I'm going to go back a little further. It was a verse 15, 16. Lift up your rod, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry land through the midst of the sea. Then he says, I'll indeed harden the hearts of Pharaoh. Where was this whole thing about hardening the hearts of Pharaoh? That's really kind of bugged me a little bit. Why are the, is, is Pharaoh being moved to do what he's doing? Why not just let the children of Israel go? How about this? God had no choice. 
Because God is also a principle and he will honor his principle. Another way to put it, he will honor his word. What are you talking about? How could this be? Well, very interesting part, portion of scripture here. It occurs in verse... Listen to the voice of the people that are supposed to be like God. Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt? Leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Isn't this? Their gatekeeper was saying, I'm to serve Egyptians. I'm to serve Egyptians. So because that's what was in their heart, that's what was working in their life. They had, I'm, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart and he's going to chase after you. Why? Because that's what you want. If you would, in other words, if they were to get through the Red Sea, find themselves in downtown Jerusalem, there would have been Egyptians there to enslave them because that's what they wanted. Period. On top of it, to die in the desert. They created for themselves a death sentence. Isn't this what we told you? These are people that have been granted the principles, or as Scripture says, the oracles of God in Hebrews chapter 5. Which means, what I believe and what I speak comes to pass. And he didn't, God doesn't qualify, only good things happen to you. The principle works. Moses now had to work the principle as well. God the person has been talking. I want you, your destiny is Canaan land. I want you out there. That's where I want you to go. But their gatekeeper, the principal, was saying, no, we're to serve the Egyptians. So now we're having a conflict because of what's in their heart between the destiny of God and their own slavery. What's interesting is it even says that there's 600 horsemen. I find that interesting because the number 600 in Hebrew is the same as the letter Mem. And the letter Mem in Hebrew, the final Mem, is the number 600 and it represents water. Those chariot guys were destined for the water before they even got started. They were destined to drown. But there was a twofold thing at work. For God, they're destined to drown. For them, we're destined to die. So Moses, stop, stand still, see the salvation of God. God turns around, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. Lift up your rod, part the Red Sea. Then it says in verse 21, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord, Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea into dry land and the waters were divided. Notice what it said. It said that when Moses stretched out, when he worked the principle, then the force of God went to work on the Red Sea. Where are you in this picture? In your life? In city church? 
If God is telling you to go forward, what is your gatekeeper saying? No, I don't want to go. I'm going to stay here. Oh, I don't want to do this. Per, I don't, you know, I don't want to do this because this makes me feel uncomfortable. Will it have to be that God set Egyptians behind you to get you to go to your destiny, or are you just going to go? Your choice. What we do many times as believers, trust me, we just went through a major shift in our church and are in the process of continuing that shift. We're about seven, eight months into it from being for 30 some odd years, uh, not 30 some odd years, 26 years, Jesus is Lord Christian Center. We're now Oasis of the Valley. The name change alone was a major upset for some people. We've been, we've been Jesus and Lord. We're known in the city for this. This is what God... Yes, but you know what? It's time to move forward. And all kinds of things began to happen because one group kind of gets it. Another group doesn't get it. Pastor Moses is in the middle of it. And his answer is, God, you need to help me. And God's like, no, you do it. No, God, you don't seem to get it. You need to deal with these people's hearts. I'm going to deal with your heart. Take your staff, stick it up in the air, divide that Red Sea, and tell them to go forward. We can, I believe, I truly believe, we can avoid Egyptians in our lives. Because, you know, it didn't, even when they got across the Red Sea... The three-month journey in the wilderness turned out to be 40 years. Why? Because there was still a bunch of people that said, you know, we should go back to Egypt. At least we had some food there. Rather than this manna stuff. I don't know about you, men and women of God. I want the destiny of God fulfilled in my life. And in order to get there, I'm going to have to move from just talking to God the person to becoming like God and use the principles and activate the forces of God to make it happen. That's going to, and that occurs with the shahar, the gatekeeper, the gatekeeper. What I allow in and what I don't allow in. Now when you have a congregation, you have all kinds of gates opening and closing in different ways. Now I know you all believe in unity. I believe you believe in oneness. But I'll tell you something. Everybody affects everybody. It seems sad that it takes a common enemy for us to move. Rather than a common purpose. Why did David have to be in the cave of Adullam and everybody have a common enemy at that point to finally move forward and make him captain? Why? Because some of us are so used to, like Job, to only being motivated to perceive what we need to perceive through our fears and our discomfort. How uncomfortable does things in our lives have to get sometimes for us to move? How uncomfortable it has to be that we finally change that inner decision of the gatekeeper in our heart. Start believing the impossible rather than accepting the probable.
Start opening this up to you. Let me go to one other thing here, if I can. Start opening the gatekeeper to you. One of the key things about being a slave is you don't have a sense of purpose. You have rather what you have... Let me say it again. One of the key aspects of being a slave is that you do not have a sense of purpose, a sense of future, or a sense of identity. Let's see if I can ratchet this up a little bit. For many of us, Jesus is our identity. That's a good thing, wouldn't you? Would you agree? But Jesus is really not so egocentric that he wants you constantly staring at him. Jesus is more interested in you looking at what he's looking at than he is you staring at him. Jesus is more interested in you becoming like him than you just simply gazing at him. The principle really is if you do gaze, you'll become like, but most of us don't want to stop looking. Why? Because we know what's out there. Peter on the walking on the water. He's looking at Jesus. Jesus, bid me to come. Okay, he's got Jesus on focus, but you understand where he's going is where Jesus is. Where is Jesus right now? For Moses, he was on the other side of a Red Sea. For Moses, he was on the other side of a Red Sea. He wasn't standing there with Moses saying, okay, let's camp and everything's going to be great and I'll beat the, uh, the Egyptians up and maybe you could take their chariots and make them into boats and we could all sail across the sea together and it'll be really nice and, you know, we can sing pirate songs or something. No, he didn't do that. Instead, your destiny is over here somewhere. One more, one more thought and I'll be done. This church now, which is not so much a biblical um, verse, but like I said, to me this whole word, rather than being some deep teaching or some exposing something, except this issue of the gatekeeper, I really believe you're going to need to get. I really believe there, we need to realize, whether we like it or not, we've been designed to produce. I mean, Jesus called uh, in the sower sows the word parable in Mark 4. He sows the word and it produces fruit. You're the ground. You're to produce. The catch is, whatever you let into your garden... Take heed to what you hear. For what measure you meet will be measured to you again if you needed a verse. What you let in, what you let in the gate is what you produce. How do you see City Leeds Church? How do you see the city of Leeds? See, you don't need to have an external element determine what's probable. What you internalize and view is what will come to pass. Every time. Not sometimes, every time. Every time. Every time. Is anybody not getting this? Raise your hand real quick. Okay. 
How about let's put it this way. How many of you are getting this? Okay, most of you are getting it. Good. The bottom line is, I believe City Church Leeds is about to now take another step. It's almost like you've spent a decade or so refounding, refashioning, removing. And I'm telling you, we intentionally, when, when a pastor was uh, picked me up last night, uh, he asked me briefly what I had you know, to share for a second. I said, well, something about part in the Red Sea. And he said, wow, that could be very... And I said, let's stop right here. Well, let's not talk about what's going on at City Leeds Church. So at least we can get up and say that if there's God in it, it's not because we sat around and talked about where you're going or what you're doing. Then we agreed on the way back, we'll talk about it and see how accurate it was. <laughs> this is where we are. It's not like Mark was telling me about all your stuff, what you're going through, good, bad, and otherwise. We talked about other topics. I'm telling you, I believe this. If I'm looking back over almost a decade spread, and I'm, I'm partially, it's a prophetic view, but partially also it's a natural view in the sense of I happen to have had the privilege of seeing some of this. Snippets. So maybe it's more prophetic than natural, but I, I had the privilege to participate in at least perceiving. First time I was here, had them old chairs and pews, I was right over there. And Gareth was preaching over here. Matter of fact, I remember that message because he had a loose cap or something on his tooth and he said something the tooth went flying out like that. Hit somebody in the third or fourth row. It was hilarious. The catch to this is, Leeds Church has, is is, in a sense, been in a reshaping and a reforming, but in one sense, this is your Egypt. This is not your destiny. This is what God has used as a blessing to get you where you are now. And I don't even know what it looks like. God hasn't given me that totally. But I do know this. I, I'm telling you, when I, when I said earlier about your pastor, Mark, and, and the relationship there, I really believe in this guy. I really do. And I really believe in a lot of you. I've gotten to know some of you. I got to uh, spend some time with Ben uh, earlier in the week. And, I mean, I, you guys are amazing. So like as the gatekeeper in your heart, so is he. What's the heart of Leeds Church? What are you seeing? Because what you see will be every time. Every time. And this, and when I say this, I'm not necessarily referring to the building. Wherever you are right now, I really feel like you're, coming, you're, you're, you're closing a chapter of restoration and reformation to open a new chapter to go forth and to permeate something in this city. The thing is it will t won't take on the form of what you've known but it will definitely have some of the things that helped you get where you are will still be with you. It's just a new form. It's just a new form and there may be a wilderness season after you get through that Red Sea. But if you let the gatekeeper of your heart, which is your choice, to see what God's saying, to see what God's envisioning, to become larger in you than where you are, it will always pull you forward. And by doing so, you're working a principle 
We have wealthy people in the United States that don't know God. And they're wealthy because on the inside of the hearts, that's what they believe they're supposed to be. I've met people sometimes, I can think of one brother right now, I love him dearly in Christ, but he walks around in the U.S. with a sense of self-importance. And what's amazing, he's got people following him all the time and half the things he say, I th I th you've got to be kidding me. But they, oh yeah, oh yeah, it's because brother so-and-so. Well, what if I took that self-importance or whatever I believe about and really yielded it to the likeness of God? Let me end with this verse now. There's a famous scripture at the end of, it's in the Gospel of John, first epistle of John. It says, when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. This is that's one verse, everything that I've taught you and showed you today, wrapped up in one verse. Now hear what, hear what I'm saying. He appears, for we shall be like him. My likeness depends upon how I see When he appears, I shall be like him, or we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. My likeness determines what I see. The picture on the inside determines the picture on the outside. Believe me, what you see with your eyes is not reality. It's a very small sliver of reality. Your eyes, your ears, your nose, your sense of touch, your sense of taste are simply antenna. Drawing in the screen of your brain, if you will, so the real you, your soul, whatever you want to call it for the sake of, I don't want to get too deep theological in that respect, but the real you can sense what's happening in this level of life. But there's a whole world beyond those five senses that all of you have in some shape, way or form have come in touch with. If you didn't, you wouldn't be here. And you say, well, I don't even know who Jesus is yet. That's fine, but there's something on the inside of you driving yourself here. You, you have a sense. Well, the key is according to this if God is a person, a principle, and a force, is that when I, when I see on the inside of me, what occurs on the inside of me is what opens the door to bring a reality here. Does that make sense? Yeah. Likeness defines what you see and that's what causes the appearing. When he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. It's kind of a round, it's a circular, it's very Jewish, a very circular statement. Well, let's see, he appears, I'll be like him, I'll see him as he is. But wait a minute, if I'm like him, that's why I see him as he is, so he appears. So, and it just goes around the circle. City Church leads, what do you see in Leeds? What do you see? What do you see in your life? Because what you see in your life affects the whole picture. That's not for fear. That's to encourage you. You have power. Can you see a city coming to its knees for Christ? Can you see people, being, lives being transformed? 
If, it's, if you can really see it on the inside of you, it's destined to happen. I love what one rabbi said in a lecture I heard one time. It was on faith. But it was even more augmented than what I heard faith preachers preach. Powerful stuff. He says this. He said, if you on the inside of your heart absolutely is determined that you're going to throw a rock through that window and you pick up the rock and you throw it and as you throw it, a bird comes by and you bang the bird instead, the bird falls over dead and the rock falls down. And then somebody opens up the door and says, hey you kid, and you run away. They say this, he goes, if it was truly faith intention, someday, somehow, somewhere, a rock's going to go through that window because you release that in your intention. What are you releasing? What are you releasing for City Church? What are you releasing for City Church? See, that's why the media, everybody keeps, you know, everybody keeps talking, financial crisis is getting worse, financial crisis is really bad. Kobe Bryant of the NBA is earning $16 million a year. How bad is the crisis? In, in American baseball, Alex Rodriguez, the designated hitter for the New York Yankees, is making $212 million over a 10-year period. He ain't in crisis. It's getting to a point where we need to stop listening to this stuff and let it into the gatekeeper of our hearts. Shut the door and say, not City Church. Yes. Not us. Now, it may take a while. I mean, the scripture says, all night, all night we read that the wind of God blew as Moses stood with his staff, declaring that those 72 names of God over that thing and declaring it and declaring it and then finally it opened and say, okay, guys, let's go. It may take a while. But you keep the pressure on, guided by the person of God, working the principle of God, activating the force of God. And I believe, I believe, I'm praying, my prayer is, by this time next year, I'm planning on coming back, Lord willing. And I hope somehow or another I get here. I want to rejoice with you over what God has done. Amen. Thank you very much.